0: I'm Justin Kaufman, and today on The Roundup, we're looking at an
1: about face by CPS. Although our families expressed how much they wanted to return to their school communities and how much their students missed their friends and teachers, they did not feel that this was the right time.
0: Rising COVID cases in certain parts of Illinois. We want to get back to a point where we can go below 200 cases a day again and start going even lower and start being able to think about further reopening instead of the space that we're in right now, which is more a space of concern potentially needing to pull back. And not every state lawmaker is ready to push Mike Madigan over the political cliff.
2: Mike Madigan said that he felt that he's um, innocent and and I think that He's his own man, and I think that time will always um, figure the whole process out.
0: Joining us to break down those stories and more, Mick Dumpke of ProPublica, Illinois, and Brandis Friedman of WTTW. Let's start with the big education news. Chicago Public Schools switched from a hybrid plan to a fully remote learning plan this fall. Mick, what changed?
2: Well, despite uh, the mayor's insistence, this is entirely based on science. It seemed that, you know, so many parents uh, were concerned. Uh, we saw all sorts of conversations. We saw protests out there. PTU uh, essentially said that they were going to take the first steps toward uh, authorizing a possible strike vote. There was just so much pushback. There were so many questions raised, so much concern that. Uh, the mayor and her team basically said, uh, at least for the first quarter, uh, we're going to go all remote
1: they put out this hybrid model about three weeks ago. And at the time, uh, CDPH Health Commissioner, uh, Dr. Allison Arbody, you know, fully endorsed it, saying that she thinks this is the right thing to do. Um, And then a couple of days ago, when the city is announcing the new plan, she said, you know what, looking at the data over the last month, it is not going in the direction that we Mm -hmm. need it to be going in order to return to schools. So she, you know, helped the mayor obviously make the argument that it is all about the data. And things do change week to week. But you know, the thing is, we had an epidemiologist on the show a couple of nights ago saying that at some point, kids are going to have to go back to school. And so if we're going to be remote right now, fine, but use this also as an opportunity to figure out what returning to school looks like.
2: They've had four or five months here now, uh, everybody, to try to figure out all these different plans. I mean, yeah, listen, I mean, people are all sympathetic. They're in a tough position. There's uh, probably not a decision they can make right now that's going to satisfy everybody, right? So, the numbers are clearly going up, but what does that actually mean? I mean, we hear, uh, you know, there's certain ways and, and points of transmission where there seem to be, you know, sort of the center of the hot spot of the spike. So I, for one, I think probably all of us are sympathetic to the fact that there's no easy, clear answer right now. And so they did what they thought was probably the safest at this
0: point. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's. It makes sense, but it changes the conversation from what are you going to do to get ready for in-person learning to now, what are you going to do about remote learning? What are you going to do about the digital divide and all the other issues that come with going remote only for the fall? We understood it was an emergency situation in the spring, but a lot of parents and feedback, including myself, were like, this is kind of incomplete. Uh, as, as we look to the fall, are, are, are people confident that this will be much different than what we had back in the spring?
1: I'm not getting that impression. Um, I think some folks were kind of hoping that the city, that CPS, would release some sort of remote learning plan today for what Mm -hmm. that would look like. And you would hope, because, you know, like Mick said, this should have been in the works since March. So you would hope that the district is getting closer to that. Um, They sent an email to, you know, just the community parents today saying that they are still working with, uh, with teachers and with principals to figure out what it looks like. And, you know, they keep pushing that, you know, we are making sure that kids who need devices are getting devices and the Chicago connected program which is getting a hundred uh, thousand families uh, connected with free uh, internet and Wi-Fi access but still what does that mean for teachers you know to be teaching remotely and I don't know what parents are doing I know I'm pulling my hair out as a working parent <laughs> right right <laughs> so it's, I'm gonna look great bald on here um, <laughs> but I'm sure it's extremely frustrating yeah here. that's a
0: great point I still am, am I can't wrap my head around it I mean I'm trying to go day to day because I've got a as I say in this program a 13 year Year old. Right now, he's in a camp where he's virtually in front of, you know, he's in front of a screen for four hours. That's camp. That's what I'm saying. If it is six hours, seven, I I can't even imagine what that's going to do, not just for his sanity, but for his eyeballs. I mean, at a certain point, I'm not sure how that works. But Mick, why not take a lead from school districts that are in this state? Like, think about some of the suburban school districts that have already gone remote only, that have already made that call, they said they're doing it, and they start in two weeks. (laughs) They start sooner than later, at least CPS has a month.
2: You know, one of my colleagues, Jody Cohen, did a story uh, a few months ago about how, under state law, every district in the state was supposed to have a remote learning plan, and that was well before the pandemic. So the fact that we're unprepared still at this point, I find uh, deeply frustrating. And again, acknowledging this isn't easy. In a place like Chicago, you have to uh, – in addition to coming up with just simply a plan to try to connect with students, you have the whole issue of you know, access to the Internet, access to the technology right. that would enable any kind of remote learning, let alone whether the remote learning will be effective. So understand there are layers of issues here. Once again, you guys, this is is something we're talking about where uh, the current moment is exposing all of these uh, preparation deficiencies and uh, social equality uh, issues that we've had going for a long time. And they're all just, you know, in in ever sharper relief right now.
0: This morning, Governor J.B. Pritzker announced a new mask mandate for Illinois businesses. Let's listen. It's clear that there is still an even greater need to get people to wear masks especially to protect frontline workers, whether they're at the front of the store asking you to put on your mask or whether they're responding to 911 calls to save those
1: in distress.
0: Okay, so we're talking about fines, possible charges, warnings. Brandis, how's the state planning to enforce this rule?
1: That's a fine question, Justin. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're talking, I think, I think it's, it's hard to do, right? Because we've heard from our health leaders, Dr. Ngazi Ezeke and Dr. Allison Arwady, that some of the problem, it's not so much about, you know, the big parties that we were seeing before. Now the problem is a lot of the cases are coming from more private occasions, right? So people mm-hmm. getting together at a house, thinking that they're in each other's pod or the bubble, and it's okay because we trust each other. And somebody in that group is positive, and then other people in that group become positive and I think that's going to be a lot harder to enforce. I think the Illinois Retail Merchants Association has already come out and said, this is not fair to businesses. Right. You should be focusing on the individuals.
2: Again, there's, we keep saying this with everything. There's no easy answers for people. And, you know, uh, what I see is is Pritzker trying to kind of stay ahead of where the numbers uh, are going. He's issuing warnings right now before they, they go in and start – trying to do more enforcement. And that, that seems like the fairest way to go at
0: it. Also this week, the, the city's Department of uh, Public Health announced that Puerto Rico was being add to, added to the city quarantine travel list. Uh, you know, earlier it was Wisconsin. We knew about that. That's, that's nuts to think about how that even works with the, with the border so close. But now all, all eyes are on Indiana. <laughs> when you think about northwest Indiana, ostensibly it's, it's part of Chicago. How do you break down from county to county, from border to border, from city to city, uh, uh, an emergency travel order, especially right now, Mick, right now in the middle when people are going to those states for summer vacation?
2: What we're seeing are ever more intense appeals to people to be smart and to try to do the right thing and to get out clear messaging um, when it seems that a lot of people haven't heard it Listen, we're not going to have uh, state troopers at the border. I mean, stopping people checking licenses, I, I don't foresee that. I hope we don't get to that point. So short of that, what are you able to do? Even these quarantine orders are essentially voluntary, right? I mean, you know, no one's knocking on your door, uh, thank God, saying, uh, when's the last time you went to the Mars Cheese Castle? Um, <laughs> you know, are you, are you properly quarantined? You know, this is still like kind of an honor system, and as we've seen, it doesn't fully work.
0: Uh, let's make a quick transition to violence. Uh, when you think about this brand, it's just about where we're at in the summer of 2020. How do, how do we wrap our heads around the fact that this is the worst violent month in the history of Chicago?
1: particularly these children who are being shot is is absolutely heartbreaking and stunning and disturbing. But a lot of folks will say, if you look at how the pandemic is reflective of problems in lower income communities, and many of those communities are obviously those of color as well. And that is where the violence exists. They'll say it is all reflective of, you know, what they call a, a lack of investment in mm-hmm. those communities. And so You can't wrap your head around it, right? Because none none of it makes sense. A 10-year-old, a 9-year-old child being shot dead does not make sense. In some ways, I feel for Superintendent Brown because, you know, Chicago is a tough city to police anyway, and I think he's taken the job at the absolute worst time in history. That said, somebody has to do the job. I wish him luck.
2: With everything that's happened in the last few months, the the perfect storm of uh, largely bad news. But amid that, there do seem to be more people who are paying attention to not just the scorecard of horrific statistics, but having uh, serious conversations about systemic racism, social inequality. What can we do next? I would say if we're looking for uh, something positive here, and I choose to look at something positive, and it's There is a conversation underway. Now, I personally would like to see more of the conversation shift toward um, what can we do besides the law enforcement response. Law enforcement, whatever you think of policing, the federal surge and all that kind of stuff – I mean, it just really comes in after the fact. So there's got to be not just a long-term look at some of these issues, but there's got to be, I think, even an emergency response to what's going on, uh, looking at some of the the causes of this that get beyond just picking up guys who are carrying guns.
0: Okay, let's switch things up and go to Springfield. Although more calls are popping up for Speaker Mike Madigan to step down, doesn't look like he's budging. Mick, is Madigan going anywhere? Is this moment different than the dozens of times in the past he's been asked to move aside?
2: Until we actually see some movement where there is some sign that his uh, bedrock support from the majority of Democrats, uh, you know, starts to erode, then uh, nothing's gonna change. I mean this is a guy who's a master at holding on to power. Yeah. If there's one thing you can point to about his legacy, I mean I challenge you to point to a particular legislation. I challenge you to point to some any kind of like idealism or political philosophy other than being able to hold on to power. He is very, very good at it. He really is. so I see no sign right now that that's going to change.
0: Brandis, I thought the move this week where uh, I think it was, it was really spearheaded by the GOP, the Illinois GOP, to say that if anyone takes any money from the Illinois Democrats for the upcoming campaign, that's dirty money. They should pledge to turn that down. And uh, that's a really good move because it's all from the Democratic Party. It's all from Mike Madigan. So that, that I mean, it might be futile, but at least there, there, there seems to be a strategy in doing that.
1: It's one thing to not get the money that you need from the party so that you can maintain your seat. But it's another to um, have said, oh, no, you know, he should probably step down and I'm not going to take any money. But mm-hmm. then he doesn't go anywhere. And now you have to work with him. And that's the other thing that's a little bit disappointing. Aren't all of them supposed to be there to serve the people? Yeah. And it seems <laughs> <What>? like <laughs> in Illinois, What? what? No, silly, Brandis. Um, And it seems to me that that's not the discussion that anybody is having. It's more about who should be in power, who has the power, and how to keep it, and how to get it, and how to be endeared to the person who has it.
2: And and one real quick point. I think Sean Ford said that Mike Madigan has maintained his innocence. It's interesting to me that he actually has not said that. What I've seen from his statements are that I've done nothing improper which is, to me, a very kind of lawyerly technical point. Uh, It's basically a claim that he's saying he has not broken the law, that is not saying that I have been ethically pure.
0: I want to mention Kanye West because he is trying to get on a November ballot in Wisconsin, Ohio, Arkansas, West Virginia. And reports this week suggest Republicans are behind the effort. Brandis, you know, what started out as kind of a, a quirky campaign of a third party. Looks like there might be more, I don't know, more more politics to it. What, what do you think the end goal is for a for Kanye West campaign?
1: Well, first, we have to acknowledge that he's the birthday party. Yeah, um, exactly. And I'm a fan of the name. It's a, a good name. It's a good name. strong. I guess I'm a little surprised and I don't know if I should be offended that you know the Republicans seem to think that Kanye West can actually pull votes from Joe Biden, that enough Democrats, enough voters are willing to vote for Kanye West. And if that is the case, are voters that apathetic? Are some of them doing it because right. they think he can actually do a good job as president and can win and beat Donald Trump? Or are they doing it, you know, kind of ironically, like yeah, I'm just as right, right, I can. Right. So um, I'm surprised that they, they think that would work.
0: A yeah, <laughs> question is from the get go about who was actually organizing the signature campaigns and who was putting him and who was the apparatus around Kanye West. And to see that now that it's, it's Republican operatives that do have connections to Donald Trump, the president has said, hey, I have nothing to do with this. But it does seem to me much more organized and much more trying to disrupt the election than even Kanye West said in the beginning of his uh, campaign, Mick. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I thought from the beginning, um, you know, someone probably whispered in Kanye's ear, uh, you know, played to his ego slash, uh, you know, whatever mental uh, health, Issues that he's reportedly had, and he basically said, "Hey, you can do this. This is this would be a great thing," and that there was some other motive behind it. Um, listen, in the last three of the last five presidential elections, have come down to a couple of states that have decided the whole thing. So, I think uh, Brandis, you're right. I mean, on the one hand, it's insulting and disrespectful to think that uh, a lot of people might take uh, Kanye West seriously as a presidential contender. On the other hand, You know, if I'm a Republican strategist, I think you're throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. You're going to do anything you can to try to limit your opponent's chances. And uh, so we see everything from... uh, you know some systematic efforts to limit how pe- how many people can vote in certain areas, certain states. Uh, to this, this whole thing with Kanye West.
0: Mick Dumke is a correspondent and uh, columnist for ProPublica Illinois. Brandis so Friedman Let's is. Uh, yep, yeah, uh, she is uh, the correspondent and and host of Chicago Tonight at WTTW and Chicago Tonight Black Voices. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you coming on.
1: My pleasure. Thanks oh, for thanks, having me.
2: Justin.
0: And that's Reset's Friday News Roundup from WBEZ. I hope that was a helpful way for you to get through the week's biggest stories. What'd you like? What would you change? Drop us a line at reset at wbez.org. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. Be safe this weekend, and we'll catch you back here Monday for more Reset from Chicago's NPR News Station, 91.5 WBEZ.